Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back for another episode of Slay House Presents. I am your host. I am I'm your host. I am your host, Trevor. And I'm Caitlin. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. This is our first real episode together. We did a little bit of an intro and, uh, you know, we, we're doing the show now. This is really exciting. I'm super excited. We've been talking about it all week, just uh, wanting to go and do so many things. So we're going to start uh, with a, kind of a new format where we're going to be talking about some news, stuff that's coming out, stuff that uh, happened recently that is a conversation point. Then we're going to transition into just a little bit of what have we been reading recently? Is there anything interesting that maybe we can plug? And then we're going to close out with a discussion of a piece of media that we chose. And this week we chose to talk about Tender is the Flesh Mm -hmm. by Agustina Basterica. That was a mouthful. (laughs) How would you say it? I'm not even going to attempt it. (laughs) Uh, You're not wrong. So let's start off with some news. Hit us up, Caitlin. What's new in publishing that you are excited about? I'm super excited. Um, Heartstoppers Volume 5 for me is coming out finally. Volume 5. That's uh, that's awesome. What is Heartstoppers about? Because I know this has been one of your favorite, uh, like graphic novel series for, uh, I, I mean, almost like a year, right? I think it's been. I want to say it came out, or at least for me, I started reading it. I think it was September, August, September, sometime. You remember we were walking through Target, and I mm-hmm. saw it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm finally just gonna read it, and I bought the first four, and I I thought that was it. Did, did you talk to Marina Lostetter about? I did. Uh, yes. That episode. Episode. So that would have been yeah. That would have been uh, summertime around, oh, around so July. That was, so no, I was wrong. That was July then. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been waiting. Yeah, quite a a, a bit of time. Yeah. So I know that you're not alone in waiting. Uh, because I've been, you know, looking uh, several times to try to like, ooh, I'll get a little treat for Caitlin from the bookstore. And, <laughs> and it's like not out. Yeah, yeah, it's coming out on the 2nd. So next yeah. Thursday? Oh, yeah. Uh, Tuesday. Yeah. Is uh, it Tuesday? No. Tuesday's the 2nd. Tuesday's not the 2nd. Tuesday's the 31st. Am I crazy? What? Tuesday's the 31st. What? The books always come out on. Either sure, way, you're right. Back it is your, Thursday. Back to your question. I'm I'm over here gaslighting you, <laughs> and you're right. You're right the whole time. Back to your question about what it's about. Uh, it's about Nick and Charlie. They've been uh, currently uh, where we're we're at. They've been in a two year relationship. Um, and they're like they're like boy high school sweethearts. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, we originally met them two years ago. Um, One of them, I believe it's Nick, Um, he plays rugby, and Charlie's kind of a a quiet kid. Anyway, Uh they're they're forced to sit next to each other in class, and Uh they kind of just hit it off. It's kind of like the, it's it's like a nerd and jock 
uh, queer romance. Yes, and yeah. uh, Charlie has already been out. He was outed uh-huh. a while back, and he's been bullied, and um, Nick realizes that he's bisexual, and mm. it's just this cute, you know, yeah. coming-of-age queer love story, and it's just adorable. Yeah. And I've been waiting so long to see what happens, and yeah. I actually... This kind of goes into our next segment of what we've been reading. I actually just read a uh, Heartstopper novella. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you were super excited about it and devoured it. I yes. mean, it well, was like it's only like a hundred and five pages. True, but, but yeah, I devoured you, it. You know, if if a hundred and five pages for me represents like two evenings of reading maybe three evenings of reading for you. It's like, I, I swear you're like Alf. You just like <laughs> stick the book in one ear and it just comes out the, or, or maybe that's not Alf. Maybe it's a, it's Mork from Mork and Mindy that does that. That's a, that's a throwback. Nobody remembers <laughs> those. Shoot. Excuse me. But yeah, I, I devoured it in like less than an hour. Yeah. In one sitting. I swear it was like, I blinked and you're like, I'm done. <laughs> So, yeah, I kind of continued the story. Um, Nick is, uh, he's actually, I didn't mention this, but Nick was a grade higher than Charlie. And so now he mm. has graduated and he's going off to college. And so it's kind of continuing their ups and downs. Yeah, a little bit of drama there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming that the volume five is going to pick up from that. Yeah, yeah. So it was great to have kind of a little teaser you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, in the novella. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's that's really uh I I've, I'm actually excited for that too. Uh I've been meaning to read Heartstopper ever since you, need to. you picked it up. Um cuz you know, I love graphic novels. I'm yeah. all about graphic novels and uh and queer love stories are especially when they're cute, you know, like I feel like my reaction to to romance is like I want cute and banter and It is. Um and you want like? <laughs> Go ahead, you want, say it. You I want, want like balls to the wall. <laughs> like this was... <laughs> you well, want a very different kind. I of... wasn't expecting that with this. I mean, I knew it was high school, <laughs> so it's not yeah, going to be balls to the walls. But and yeah. it does have some very grown up elements. Um, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it, but it does have some very serious mental health. Mm. Um, elements. Which would make sense because, you know, for a queer uh, high school romance, you know, like, I, I mean, high school is fraught enough with uh, uh, mental issues and problems. I can speak from experience there, yeah. um, let alone, you know, trying to go through high school and being queer, you know. Yeah. And this, it doesn't necessarily go along. It's not hand in hand with being queer. It's, it's a completely kind of separate mental health issue. Mm. But... I mean, mm. just add on top of it being queer right, and trying right. to build this, you know, queer relationship. It yeah, it was really good. Yeah, very very cool. What else is uh, coming out in your neck of the woods? Um, there is one of my favorite authors that I spoke about last time, uh, Lilith Vincent. I just found out she had a book come out that I'm super excited. Um. <laughs> It's going to sound really crazy, but I <laughs> I trust her. Well, this so. is it. I mean, Lilith Vincent is the one. She's got like, is it, what's the kid's name or the guy's name? Is it Zeke or something like that? No. When I when I was hunting around for, for book stamps and signed editions and stuff, uh, she had like a postcard of a, a dude with his 
giant dick. No, 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 no. You're thinking of... Um, was that not Lilith Vincent? No. Oh, I'm thinking of someone else. You're thinking of uh, Haunting Adeline. Is that... Who Who writes that? Um. No, I... You know what? Now I remember because I, I talked to Lilith Vincent um, and the other one I didn't talk to. Because uh, she didn't have that, but Lilith Vincent was super kind. You're thinking of H.D. Really Carlton. H.D. Carlton. That's who I'm thinking about with the. Sorry, it was the, taking me the a minute. Leather britches and the. No, um, <laughs> Lilith Vincent was like Lorenzo. Yes, remember? that's right. I, when I when I ordered your stuff, I I uh, it was like Lorenzo's baby girl or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. No, but she has a new one out. <clears throat> it's called um, Beauty So Golden. And it's another reverse harem. Um, I'm looking currently at um, an email I got. It's a fairy tale with a twist. And I think it is, uh, from what I have read, it's supposed to be, don't laugh. I I mean, I will laugh. I know you're going to. I'm not going to laugh because I'm making fun of it. I'm laughing because I think it's joyous. Um. I think if this is the one I'm thinking of, because I thought it said it there, but maybe I was reading it somewhere else. Um, I think this is a um, post-apocalyptic zombie. Oh, like a monster, like a monster romance thing. Yeah, like a reverse harem set in a post-apocalyptic zombie part world. Of, are part of. Is part of the reverse no, harem zombies? No. Oh, I was getting excited for a moment. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that would be that would be crazy. But no, I think <laughs> I think they are living in a post apocalyptic world. I see, with zombies. And so it's And they're like, surviving. And how will I survive the zombie apocalypse? Well I have these four guys that I bang. And yeah. They in keep my me mind I'm thinking the they're zombies. kicking ass, taking names and having sex on the weekends. Oh yeah. You know, you know what? Uh, of course. That is is that not the post apocalyptic dream? Yes. For sure, yeah. <laughs> well so, that's super fun. When does that come out? I think it just came oh, out. Oh, it ju- it's already yeah, out. Yeah, it's live now. That's really really great. On Kindle Unlimited. So I know you know you, like that. I know you'll devour that. Uh, you you always have like kind of a look on your face uh when you're reading these books like I can tell when you've gotten to a part and and you like you like <laughs> When I look at your Kindle, you do this thing where you take the Kindle away because <laughs> you're like, you don't want me to read. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. When I'm reading a smutty part and you're in the bed next to me and yes. I can see you looking at me and I turn the Kindle like, away from you. Yes. Like, don't read over my shoulder. Don't judge me. <laughs> it's not about judging you. It's just- so funny. What? Your reaction is so funny. It's like, it's like, don't look at me while reading this. Which is funny because I pride myself in being able to read pure smut in public with a resting bitch face. Like, nobody knows what I'm reading. <laughs> nobody. I know. But you over here, like, the second I see you side-eyeing me and I'm reading, like, pure smut, I'm just like, quit looking at me. I know you can tell what I'm reading. Leave me alone. <laughs> the benefits of so many years of marriage, I can tell. I just I just can tell. Yeah. Um, Will, uh, any other, like, book updates, stuff that uh, is, is on the near horizon? 
No, I think those are the only two things I can find this week that I was super excited about. I got you. I got a whole list. Are you, are you ready? Because there's so much stuff that's coming around the corner that I'm really pumped for. Let me guess. Star Wars. Uh, well, now that you mention it, uh, March is the Mandalorian season three that's coming out. Well, we're both uh, excited for that. Yeah, but, but that wasn't on my list. Uh, no, surprisingly, Star Wars is not on this list, uh, this week of, uh, of stuff that's, uh, that's happening. Well, uh, first and foremost, Slayhouse Presents, uh, is having, uh, a, a, a radio adaptation. Well, Jeremy calls them radio adaptations, um, they're they're more like just just audio adaptations of stories, um, but Slayhouse presents Edith Nesbitt's From the Dead is coming mid February. That is going to come launch into our podcast feed. Mm-hmm. Um, very excited about that. We've got a full voice cast um, who you know kind of read this story uh, as an audio uh, adaptation. I think it's going to be really cool. Um, We've got another one on the way for March, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a future update. Um, cover reveal of J.B. McLaurin's Black Echoes from Slay House is also coming out on January 31st, I think, is what uh, Jeremy told me. Hmm. Very exciting. Um, I think this cover, I've seen the cover. I think the cover looks really, really good. And um, it's kind of the the first premiere of uh, you get a you know a first look of the vibes of Black Echoes. I think this is going to be a really cool book from Slay House, and I I really hope that uh, people you know look in and and maybe pick that one up. We've also got next week coming out on Thursday, which is February second. You were mm-hmm. you're correct. I'm always wrong about these things, even though I pretend I'm right. Um, it's a man thing. I know it's it's a total guy thing. Um, Melinda West, Monster Gunslinger by Casey Griffin is coming out uh, February second from Bridget's Gate Press. I am super pumped for this book. I'm a little salty because Casey Griffin hasn't sent me a, a, an ARC copy, but um, I can't be really upset about that because I've already pre-ordered it. I'm already going to get the book. And I'm super pumped for this. Um, it's like a monster western with uh, a lady lead. And I just think that's, I think it's going to be like all the vibes I want out of like horror, western, there are monsters and gunslingers. I don't need to know anything more about this book to be excited about it. Uh, yeah. So I'm totally pumped. That drops on Thursday. And uh, you can bet. I will be reading that, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, very, very quickly. Um, yeah, February 7th is the next big uh, book drop date. That's uh, a Tuesday. And there are some huge titles coming out. Um, Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham Jones comes out February 7th from Gallery Saga Press. That's the sequel to My Heart is a Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be an awesome book, a, a slasher uh, of sorts. Super excited. Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez. Uh, that comes out February 7th from Hogarth. Um, this is a, a translated, I think it's a debut novel. Um, and it's got uh, it's got some like spooky, spooky vibes. I'm really pumped about this book. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to go see if 
uh, accidentally Barnes and Noble put it on the bookshelf today as opposed to in two weeks. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm really excited about it. Uh, the Spite House by Johnny Compton is coming out February 7th as well from Tor Nightfire. That was on my top 10 most anticipated reads this year. Mm-hmm. I'm so pumped about it. He just did uh, an interview with the She Wore Black podcast that was great and just gets me even more excited. This is a haunted house book set in Texas, mm-hmm. in like the Texas Hill country. And uh, mm, I'm ready for it. And then uh, in other publishing news, we got an excerpt of the audiobook of The Cage of Dark Hours by Marina J. Lostetter. That book is coming out February 14th. It is the sequel to The Helm of Midnight, which, as you know, mm-hmm. I am a huge fan of. Yes. I absolutely loved uh, the, the way that she kind of weaves in some social commentary with a really cool magic system. And I'm really excited to see where this story is going, you know, for this trilogy. So this second book has me all kinds of excited. And uh, the excerpt from the audiobook was really fun, too. You can find that on Marina Lostetter's uh, Twitter page. Uh, she's got a link to that uh, audiobook excerpt so you can get as hyped as I am about it. Um, we also got the first chapter of Almakatsu's Red London uh, posted on all over her Facebook feed, or not Facebook, Twitter feed, and uh, Instagram. That book comes out March 14th. I have been reading it as part of my, um, uh, I got an ARC copy. So I've been, you know, kind of reading that on the side. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Uh, the, the book is, I don't want to spoil any any parts of the book. Um, but you know, it's about, uh, Russian oligarchs and the, the character, the main character from, um, uh, Red Widow, which was, uh, you know, one of my favorite, uh, you know, spy thrillers ever. Um, that protagonist is, is now working in London. She, she's handling uh, a Russian asset and she, you know, kind of comes into this, um, plot as, uh, as some stuff, uh, kind of changes over in in Russian leadership. It's uh, it's it's excellent. It's really really good. The spycraft is really exciting. Um, I think this book is going to be awesome. And you can read that first chapter completely free, just to get you hyped up for March. Um, and I'm really excited about it. And then uh, my favorite bit of news this week: um, S. A. Barnes slash Stacy Cade. Uh, announced her next book, Ghost Station, is going to be coming out through Tor Night Fire as part of a two-book deal. Mm. I am so pumped about Ghost Station. You know how I feel about Dead Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, because I did not, I mean, how many times did I just like come in and I'm like, this book is is blown me away. I just love this mm-hmm. book. I haven't shut up about it for a whole freaking year. Yep. And uh, and so the, the announcement of uh, Ghost Station, it, it just has me over the moon. I am so excited for this book. So those are the publishing news. Now we get into some of the, um, the other news that I think uh, is the stuff I wanted to bring in for conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is pertaining to... Uh, some book bans uh, that have been going around the country. Two pretty high-profile cases um, of book banning 
came up over the last couple of weeks that I think bear uh, repeating. Madison County in Virginia, uh, their school board banned 21 books from the high school library, including titles from Margaret Atwood. Of course. Stephen King, Sherman Alexie, Stephen Chabotsky. Uh, he, he wrote uh, the book that was banned was uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. Anne Rice, Sarah J. Moss, Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. and uh, a few others. And as that is going on, as that book ban is happening, Crawford County's public library system, the, the library board of, of Crawford County uh, in Arkansas moved to ban LGBTQ plus books from circulation. Uh, and there there was a big controversy with the Van Buren Public Library. Here's the thing. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because I know uh, you were aware of it. You were actually the one who pointed out uh, the Crawford County mm-hmm. uh, issue to me. Um I, I want to bring it up. I, I want to talk about, you know, one of the things that we see happening uh, because these are not isolated incidents, right? We have um, these sorts of challenges happening all over the place, but these are two high-profile accounts where um, a conservative board comes in and starts censoring uh, uh, literature, you know, from public access. In the case of Madison County, it was a school board who blocked it from a a high school uh, library. I have some contentious thoughts about uh, that, but I know that, you know, a lot of the argument has been, well, at least it's a school library and not uh, not a a public library, right? Mm -hmm. Like, at least the public library in uh, Madison County still has all of those books available, so if kids want to come and check them out, they can still do that. Um, but now we're talking about Crawford County, you know, a uh, 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 conservative and forgive me, folks, a conservative Christian uh, religious board um, has taken over the uh, Crawford County um, Public Library Board. And as a result, uh, this very conservative, very highly religious group is trying to ban access you know, public access through the public library. We're not talking about a school library here. So, I mean, I want to pitch it to you. Like, what are some of your thoughts about this, both as somebody who got a lot of books and was exposed to a lot of books through your high school library, um, but also just, you know, uh, how do you feel about this stuff? What are your thoughts? It's, It's sad. It's maddening. It's frustrating. Um, it's embarrassing, really, you know, to live in the state like this that that can do this. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's our backyard. This is the the thing that I think just like boggles my mind. Right, we live in in Fayetteville, yeah, uh, which is a, a pretty uh, at least in this part of Arkansas. This is a pocket that I think is much more liberal than the rest. Yeah, we're of Arkansas. pretty liberal, right? Um, but but that's not the case of like you know uh, out in Elkins where we actually reside. No, it's uh, very conservative. Yeah. Very conservative. It's night and day. You come in and and it's like what ten miles apart. Mm-hmm. Ten you know ten miles from Elkins to Fayetteville. So we're here in Fayetteville and it's all 
you know, keep Fayetteville funky and everybody's, you know, I, I would say trends more liberal. Uh, you, you go 10 miles down the road and it's uh, it's like all 100 percent Trump flags. Yeah. You know, um, Van Buren, though, and and Alma, you know, those are in uh, Crawford County. And that's where your your family's from. Yeah. Most of them born and raised. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like this is. It, it always never it, it never feels real until it's it's like it's happened to you. Right. That's always kind of the case. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who hear cases like this and they're like, well, it's a it, you know, it's a, a, a high school library. And I, I'm sure you've also heard the the argument that because um, uh, someone cited it to me when I was really upset about this. They were like, um, well, you know, anytime there's a book ban, uh, the book uh, uh, sales surge for that book. And I, I think that, okay, maybe that's true in some parts of the country, but we're talking about rural communities here. They, you know? they don't have a Barnes and Noble right down the street like we do. They don't, I mean, it's a small community. Those kids probably don't have, like I said, they don't have the access to a big store to buy it. They probably don't have the money. Um, they probably you know, rely on their local public library for books like that. Yeah. And it's, what are they going to do now? You know? Right. Maybe, maybe they'll get lucky and their, their high school library will have it because, you know, like you said, it's just their, their public library. So maybe they'll get lucky and their high school will have it. But, but that's also crazy because now we're, you know, we're, we're relying on these, conservative school districts all of a sudden to, to try to fill the need of a public library, a public library, which is funded by public funds for the benefit of everybody who lives there. And let's be real clear, right? In Crawford County, Arkansas, there are queer people. Yes. It's, there, there's it, probably not a lot, but... There, there's enough. There's enough. Yeah. And it's just... I can't imagine. I tried. I was actually thinking about this this morning as we were, you know, getting ready to come to do this. If I put myself, you know, in the shoes of, you know, a kid that lives in that community now who was relying, you know, on that public library for those books, you know, a queer kid who, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't have the resources that that I had when I was in high school. You know, mm-hmm. my parents mm-hmm. would take me to Barnes and Noble whenever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my representation is gone. Yeah. You know, popular books that I'm seeing, you know, on TikTok or Facebook or whatever mm-hmm. that I wanted to read are gone. My representation is just gone, and I can't begin. Can't begin to understand that frustration that hurt um yeah i mean I, it comes down to like uh, like issues of privilege right yeah. the, the reason why we have public libraries the reason why we have school libraries is to be able to you know represent uh, the world as as we see it uh, to present education on certain topics and and i think that literature and exposure to literature especially different kinds of uh, fiction is is vital to understanding the world, you know. Um, and and a lot of people, especially in rural, rural communities, like you say, there's not a Barnes & Noble down the road. They, they may not have the money 
to be able to just buy books uh, like you and I. I mean, you and I budget for books and our well, let's be real. Our book budget is quite huge. Um, but, you know, that's a privilege. That's uh, I work, you know, two jobs to make sure that that we can live comfortably and, and uh, keep that book budget. There are a lot of kids who don't have that. You know, I had parents who were really into giving me books like just like yours. But I also know having worked uh, for, uh, uh, you know, two different uh, colleges, um, a community college and a, a university, you know, I know I've, I've encountered, I've had those kids in my class that don't have access to literature and rely on libraries in order to find uh, material. I've, I've had those kids in my class. And I think that it's extraordinarily frustrating that here are these conservative voices who come through and want to exert this kind of authoritative control over what materials uh, are represented on bookshelves in these uh, these institutions, you know? And what is it, in my mind, I just had a thought, what is it saying to them, to those queer kids, to hear these conservative authorities, you know, saying we're not going to have this trash, we're not going to have this pornography in our public libraries, you Mm. know, destroying the minds of our children. Mm -hmm. What does that say to those kids? I mean, that what does it say to them... Are, like if it, what am I trying to say? Like no, I I I get it. Yeah. Are you are you saying that I'm trash? Are you saying mm-hmm. that me being queer is somehow yeah. pornographic? Some, yes. Somehow deviant? Somehow yes. uh, uh, you know aberrant? Yeah. Uh, we ran into the same the same issue um, with uh, uh, American Dirt. That was the other controversy this week. Uh, this book, American Dirt, was it's it's a huge bestseller. It ended up on like Oprah's book club. All of publishing just came out and just leapt behind this book to support it. It is about um, uh, a Mexican immigrant's experience, but it's written by a white woman who has never had that experience. And uh, and there are actual accounts from. Uh, you know, Mexican authors or, or immigrant authors or, or just, you know, non-white authors, like, like people of color who have tried to write about this thing. And they don't get the entire privilege of the, the industry, the, the literary industry behind them to uh, publish this stuff. It's just this one picture that, that gets elevated. And in a lot of the criticism saying you just appropriated a story of someone who actually has been trying to sell that story and has not been able to sell it. You just appropriate this experience and, uh, and, and go huge over it. Right. That's kind of fucked up. And, um, it's not representative, you know, it's not accurately representative. And the author in her apology, um, kind of singled out, um, some of these authors as, as uh, you know, the, she said something to the effect of the, the way that we see these um, these immigrants coming through is like a brown faceless mass. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? I mean, you just dehumanize an entire group of people by calling them that. Yeah. And 
you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that her intentions were bad, but I mean, Jesus Christ, you, you got it wrong. <laughs> you know, your messaging is bad on this. And, um, and I think that's a, a similar case, right? Like you have this one author who's saying like, oh, you know, I'm trying to represent the brown faceless masses. The fuck? You've just dehumanized a whole group of people. How's that any different from, you know, these conservative boards that are kind of saying like, well, we're getting rid of LGBTQ uh, representation because it's it's deviant and dangerous to children's health. So you're you're telling queer kids who do exist. You're dangerous. I, I it just that sort of thing is, is devastating. Yeah. And I, I remember distinctly, I've had so many students come through my, my classes, so many students who are dealing with things. And uh, exposure to literature is so important. Having someone just sit down and talk about these experiences to reframe the messages that uh, I think these conservative pundits continue to, to reiterate to people. You know, to 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 tell them, um, no, you're not an aberration. You know, no, you're not. Uh, you're not dangerous. You're a human being. You're a person with with you know complex uh, needs and wants and desires, and those are valid. It, it is okay for you to be you, and uh, you know. We we need that in mm-hmm. a lot of these spaces. We need that discourse. We need a safe space where students, uh, you know, kids, even even adults sometimes need to be able to be themselves, mm-hmm. to to explore themselves, to to find the stories of other people who have had those experiences because representation is, is everything. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and taking away that representation, I, I think, is far more dangerous than any quote unquote uh, pornography. And let's be clear, this is not pornography. No, you know? none um, of the stuff that they're removing is pornography. It's simply stories of, you know, well, it- stories of, of queer people living their lives. Right. And and representing I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. It's yeah, representing their lived existence. Yes. Yeah. And telling a story that these queer kids can relate to. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no. I think the, the the issue is that there's no harm here, and and it just takes away the agency of anyone involved, uh, because these these uh, these leaders, these you know board members or whatever, uh, are just coming in and and throwing down their uh, religious agenda, you know, on uh, on the public discourse, it's just it's just tr- an attempt to shove more uh, LGBTQ people out of the community. It's an effort to recloset them in some ways. You know, it's an effort to uh, alienate them further. You know, for the uh, the 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 furtherance, if you will, of um, this this religious agenda it's uh, it makes me very upset um, and what's sad is that none of them have probably 
read a single fucking oh, they, one they, of these books. Oh, don't get me started on that. I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, I think so many of the books that that end up getting banned, um, it's it's like you didn't read a single goddamn thing of it. You know, did they actually read The Handmaid's Tale? No. Or 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 maybe they did, and maybe that's why they they uh, uh, you know banned it. I, I, I can't imagine that they're reading these books, though. Why would you ban Toni Morrison? Are you are you kidding? She She's like one of the greats of American literature. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. That's, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the story. I As we kind of close out when we move into our next segment, I, I want to reiterate, I bring this stuff up because I think if you... Um, if you're invested in literature, if you're invested in storytelling, if you're invested in, uh, you know, just just books and and the representation of ideas in popular culture, you need to be paying attention to this. You need to call it out when you see it and you need to find a way to be active. The school board, for example, or the you know, your local school board, your local library board, you should be paying attention to what they're doing because these local politics matter. Yep. This is a case, a clear case in which uh, it's it's not just, you know, the big uh, national election cycles that you should be paying attention to. Pay attention when someone's running for a school board. Pay attention when somebody's running for for library board. Pay attention when, you know, there there are things uh, that, that kind of come up um, that could impact, you know, your access to information. This is one of the w- many ways in which, uh, you know, we kind of slip into this casual fascism, if you will. Um, and and you need to be prepared. <laughs> like you need to be paying attention. Um, and in the meantime, if you have the opportunity to support um, organizations that are trying to advance, you know, literature, if you're, if you're um, you know, a, a Paying attention, just you know, consider lending your support, whether it be time, whether it be money, you know, whatever. Um, you really need to to stay active. That's the only way to really combat this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what you been reading? Quite a bit, actually. I, I this is always the case with you. You're. It, I know that we race a lot through the year. Like we're always kind of uh, competing. You, you, you constantly beat me when you're attentive to this. <laughs> when I'm not depressed. And well, yeah. Well, I mean, you had a rough year last year. We don't have to talk about it, but but yeah. Uh, so, like I said, I read that Heartstopper novella. Oh yeah. Um, right before that, I read Verity. I read Verity. Um, this is Colleen Hoover. Colleen Hoover. Yeah, I read it in less than 24 hours. You did. That was the crazy thing. You, uh, I remember you going out and you were like, uh, you know, Michelle kind of recommended that I read. Uh, I Verity. sat down and read the first 80 pages in like maybe an hour. And then the next day I sat down and I think in three hours I had finished it. Yeah. yeah. You, you were done with it. And I was like, "Did what? Did you even taste it? Yeah. It was, if you have not read Verity by Colleen Hoover, it's 
yeah, I recommend it for you, Trevor. You you would enjoy it. I, you know what? I think this is the one Colleen Hoover book that I was like, I might actually read it because uh, it. You said it was kind of uh, it gives off some Gone Girl vibes yes. a little bit, uh, and that's definitely my kind of thriller. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I might I might actually pick that one up. Um, and then the, like the day before that, um, I read a book called Glitch, mm-hmm. um, Pure Smut. Well, who's this one by? Uh, Brianna Michaels. Okay. And what's this one about? So, like I said, Pierce Smut. Um, it had a little bit of plot, but not much. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's about uh, a couple of friends that meet um, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not online. They they have mutual friends, but they um, play online video games together. So, they've never met in person before. Okay. All right. And um, this happens in my Call of Duty lobby all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm just sitting there and, yeah. oh, yeah, hey, bro. That's pretty much what they do. They play games Good like job. Call of I Duty. bet you got a nice cock, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then we're, we're plowing. Yep. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the girl needs her computer fixed because her, you know, piece of shit ex-boyfriend, you know, broke it. Oh, and of course, yeah. So anyway, the guy that she ends up, you know, having <laughs> sex with is a computer fixer, so... <laughs> Wait, is this was this like some? Was this like a computer nerd? No, he's not. A, I mean, he is. A, no, a, but what I mean is, like, did, did, was the person who wrote this computer nerd? Were they like? I don't know. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know her personally. Do you but, get turned on by hot computer nerds? He's not a computer nerd. Oh, never mind. I mean, he went to MIT, but <laughs> anyway. So anyway, she takes it to a shop, and you know, of course, they're uh-huh. like, "Oh my God, you're the most attractive thing I've ever seen." Oh yeah. Yeah. That it, that's all it takes. That's usually. all it takes. Yeah, just be just be hot. Yeah, and have a skill set. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, sounds fun. Um, before that, um, my uh, Hallowed Crows, my GN Wright. Yes. Book three. Yes, she's delightful. Disloyal. Yep, I finished that. Uh, that was a wild ride, and I'm sad that I have to wait till the end of March for the fourth and final book. Ooh. She is, she's right up there with Tate James on cliffhangers. Uh-huh. So. She writes some really good plots is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. She's not just smut, although the smut is top tier. Her plot, <laughs> her plots are amazing, so. Okay, all right. Yeah. She, I, when I got done, uh, you know how me and Jess are yeah. constantly, we, this is a series that we share. And oh, yeah. I texted her and I was like, God damn it. How did I not see that coming? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I cannot believe we have to wait till the end of March for this. Wow. Um, She was like, what? I didn't know it was that long. I'm like, yeah. So, um, and before that, it was The Sinner by Chantel Tessier. Um, She was the one that wrote The Ritual. Do you remember me talking about The Ritual? I think so. I think there you you have so many of these uh, sometimes over remind me what is the ritual the ritual was a dark college romance uh-huh. it was uh, about well what was it about um it's about a um like a secret society of guys that uh-huh. um you have to be initiated into the group and after your third year of, oh, of initiation oh that's right yeah you get a lady you're like assigned a lady yeah so anyway, the center is in the same world. Uh huh. These are like the uber violent ones. Yeah, these right? are the dark ones. <laughs> yeah, the ones that are like toe curling. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
the ones that I'm like, oh my god, I swear if Trevor ever found out what this was about. <laughs> if he ever found out, you know, just what I read and what, I, what I'm attracted to, I think he would have me institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that dark. Okay. Um, let's see. I think everything else before that was, you know, before we started the podcast. But yeah, those were my last few books that I've read since yeah. we last talked. Uh, good, good choices. I mean, uh, sounds like there's plenty in there to kind of dig through. I've been reading some stuff um, that I know won't make it onto the show, but you know, may as well shout it out. Uh, I've been reading Star Wars: The High Republic: Light of the Jedi by Charles Sewell. Uh, this is like, like Disney was like, we want to expand our Star Wars IP. Let's talk about a never talked about period of Star Wars. The High Republic. This is when, like, it's not the old Republic. It's like, you know, the heyday of the Republic where they're, like, everything's peaceful and, and interesting. This book is so boring. I'm not I'm not going to lie. I, I've had a real, to- like, tough time with it. Uh, it's I haven't finished it, but it's going to be a two-star read. Um, just... Again. Just not... You're allowed to DNF a book. I know I'm allowed to DNF a book, but I'm, I'm so invested in this whole series... Uh, I can't stop. I, I, like, I can't. Um, I just I just don't enjoy this one, though. It, there's just something off. There's no character for me to really grab onto. I, I likened it to, like, um, it's like I want to launch a, a movie about Thor. So I'm going to do it by giving you Avengers Endgame first. Like, and then we'll spin off Thor. It, it's just like your continuity is too deep here. I don't know what you're trying to establish. None of these characters seem spin-off worthy right now. Um, I, I just am not enjoying it too much. It's uh, it's not really hitting the, the spot. I also read Hyde by Kirsten White. Um, this was another book that was kind of a two-star read for me, not going to lie. I think there are plenty of people who are going to love this book. It's about a group of individuals who think they're on a game show. Uh, where they play hide-and-seek in an old park. and Oh, yeah, you actually had high hopes for this book. I did, because the, the concept sounds great. Uh, it is not what I thought it was, though. Um, it's kind of pitched as, you know, a bunch of strangers, 14 strangers end up in this uh, maze of a park, and they're supposed to play hide-and-seek, and the winner wins, like, 500000 Or, no, maybe it's $50,000. Um and I'm like, cool. It sounds halfway decent. Um, I like the premise. That's not the premise, though. That's not what ends up happening with the book. And I feel like the book just, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, for me, whatever the metaphor that uh, Kirsten White was going for, because this is very much a, a, a book that's like um, the previous generations are just super exploitative and they have it out for us. Um whatever she was going for just didn't work with the metaphor she was setting up for this game. I I did not really enjoy it. Um, It felt like it was emotionally under wrought. Like it it, it just hadn't matured for any of the emotional stakes of the book. Um, And it felt very YA to me in, in not so great a way. I know that Kirsten White is known for her YA stuff. And I think a lot of YA stuff can be really, really good. 
Um, but this was kind of pitched to an adult audience, like, uh, you know, someone who has, um, you know, kind of figured out who they are a little bit more than I think YA fiction does. YA fiction serves a, a great purpose of trying to, you know, kind of awaken who you are and really what you believe. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of some of what YA does. And, um, this this just didn't I, I just felt like it didn't give me what I wanted uh, out of the book. I won't say that it's unreadable. I think plenty of people are gonna enjoy it. It's just the metaphor didn't work for me. Um, I also read the Inheritance of Orquídea Divina by Zoraida Cordova. Um, this is uh, a, kind of a magical realism book of sorts just a little bit uh, it's fantasy it's about a woman named Orquídea Divina who has secrets in her life that she feels she can't tell her family and uh, these secrets you know kind of pose um, a danger if you will to her family after she kind of uh, she doesn't really die she, she like turns into a giant tree um, but ever after she passes, um, there's still this mystery about who she was and where did she come from? And so her family go on this mission to kind of like find the roots of their grandmother. Um, it, it was quite good. I liked it a lot. There, there were some great character moments. Um, some of the prose I felt was, um, quite good. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, I felt like the fantasy just kind of worked for me. Gave it four stars. And then finally, I read Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumfit. Which you absolutely loved. I absolutely loved that book. Five stars. It's a horror novel. It is not for the faint of heart. It's one of those books that you read it and you're like, this is an incredible book. And I think that uh, everyone should read this book, except also I don't think anyone's ready to read this book. Um, absolutely devastating. And you know, I, th I actually saw, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but no, before I interrupt. forget Katie Robert, Ooh. actually on Instagram, I saw her, uh, she took a screenshot of her Kindle, and mm -hmm. she's actually reading that book. I'm telling you, the book is so good. It's uh, uh, just a, 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 an overview, just a brief plot overview. I don't want to, again, I don't want to spoil stuff, but um, it's about uh, a couple of, of queer women. One's a trans woman, one is um, a turf. Um, like a trans uh, exclusionary radical feminist um, who ha used to be in a romantic relationship with this trans woman. Um, and they have a third uh, uh, friend. They all go into a haunted house. Only two of them come back out. And they are scarred horribly by whatever happened in, uh, inside the house. What's really great about this is not just the way that it, it explores, um, you know, queerness, uh, which it absolutely does what it is really trying to do is have a conversation about um, the way in which toxic ideologies like fascism are just never gone. You can't really eradicate them. They, they haunt us eternally. And, um, oh, child murder outside. Um, yeah, it, it, it's like, it, it's just, it, it's a very heavy book. Don't get me wrong. It's so, so heavy, but it has, a real conversation um, that I think it, it's trying to provoke um, about, you know, kind of the lurking threat of fascism in, mm -hmm. in our modern world. And it does that by using the haunted house as the metaphor for um, 
you know, uh, the, the fascist roots that, you know, have taken place in our society and, uh, and are just so difficult to get rid of. A beautiful book, a tragic book, so upsetting. And I, I absolutely love it. I think it's just a, 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 a daring work of art. So if that's something that's up your alley, I mean, it was a five star read for me. I don't know that we'll ever really get into it on the show. Maybe if you want to read it one day, but uh, yeah, truly excellent. Forgot to mention, I'm reading Cackle. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which, I mean, we can't go into it, obviously, because we're doing a whole yeah, thing I, on that. We're, we're going to do a whole a whole episode with Rachel Harrison. I'm loving it. I, it. Is it not just such a good book? Yeah, it's it is the cutest. It's like a warm blanket. In the middle of fall. Yes. Just... <laughs> yes. There are parts that are oddly creepy, but it's all, it's all so endearing. And um, it, I feel like it, it also has a lot to say, you know, just about like self, just self-possession about, uh, yeah. you know, recovering agency, really learning who you are and and learning your value. Yeah. Uh, which was something that I, I think, you know, you and I are always talking about that, learning your value. Yeah. And um, this is, I just love this book. Uh, I, I think it's one of the funnest books that I've ever read. Um, and on top of that, it's just, uh, it's so smart. It's whip smart. It's so clever and funny. Yeah. I, I just, I found myself laughing through so much of it. Yeah, that'll be a good episode with Rachel. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's transition into our final deep dive of the episode. We read Agustino Basterica's Tender is the Flesh. Hit us up with just a little bit of summary. What is this book about? Oh, you want me to do the summary? Yeah, I want you to do the summary. Just a, you don't have to give us like a 100% summary, but just a, just an overview. What's the book about? Okay, so, wow, put me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> Normally we kind of script this stuff out, but uh, we we had a snow day. Our internet was out for a whole week. It's kind of rough. So the book is about. Um, so I guess it's kind of a. Would you say it's a post? Not a post-apocalyptic world, but it's. Um, what am I? Sure? I mean, kind of is. It, is. There is. An allusion to not necessarily an apocalypse, but certainly a. What is the word I'm looking for? Um, there's like a, a, a pandemic of sorts yes. or something, like a, a, a world ruining event where. Yeah, there's um, a disease that has ravaged all of the animals, and um, animal meat is no longer ingestible. So um, humans have become the new meat. Yeah. And so they call it special special meat. meat. So the story follows this guy who um, his family or his dad. I think he is a butcher. No, he's not the butcher. He owns the factory or his dad did. And he kind of took over when his dad fell ill or he runs the factory. He runs the factory. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that processes that processes the the meat special meat, the special meat. Um and we kind of follow follow him through through his adventures. Yeah, through his adventures. We'll call it that. Uh, this is going to be a spoiler-ridden discussion. I, I just know we're, we're going to spoil a whole lot. So if you've not read this book, 
uh, hey, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll see you in a future week after you've read the book. I'm going to give about, uh, call it five seconds of silence. <laughs> just a so people, of silence. Yeah, so people have a, a moment to turn off the episode and come back next week. Uh, or you can continue through and you can hear some of our, our discussion about this book. That's probably long enough, you think? Yep. Yeah, all right. Let's spoil the hell out of this book. So it's, it's of course, about a world in which this special meat is the only meat that you can consume, right? Uh, because animals are toxic, but humans are not. So an entire industry has cropped up to raise human beings as all of the things that we use animal products for. So I didn't come as prepared as you, even though I wanted to be, you know, I tried really hard to reread this book last <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. But the one question that I did manage, you know, to come up with um, that I want to ask before all of it was, yeah, since you were the one that picked up this book. Oh, gosh. Yeah. OK. What were your thoughts before reading it? Like, I mean, just reading the back, getting a sense of what it was about. Uh, what were your thoughts? I'm about to blow your mind. Before and then after reading it. All right, I'm I'm about to blow your mind. Okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? I knew absolute fuck all about this book when I picked it up. Knew nothing. Nothing. Here's the here's the truth about how I approach books. You ready? Yeah. I don't read back jacket material. You're just like, oh, this looks fun. I literally do not care what is in that book because oftentimes I'll look at back jacket material when I do and talk myself out of reading a book. So you just picked up this book and go, oh, this looks fun. Honestly, I had heard so many people talking about it and Tender is the Flesh like made me feel like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is kind of sexy. Maybe this is... Uh, maybe there's like some weird uh, like kind of kink romance going on in here. I have no idea. I was like, these are maybe the vibes that I'm getting from it. Um, uh, no, no, that is not the case. This is this is about eating people. Yeah, is cannibalism not sexy? Not sexy. Not sexy cannibalism. Um, I, yeah, so I went in just cold, and I, I go into almost every book I ever read just entirely 100% cold. I have no idea what it is um, unless I just, you know, like I might meet, read a couple of blurbs to get a vibe, um, but I don't want to know what happens. And so I don't read the back jacket material. I go in as cold as possible. And then, like, just vibes only. And then I find out what the book is. And this book fucked me up, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. This book fucked me up. Yep. Uh, I want you to share the story of, of you when you finished this book and you came in to look at me. I'm trying to remember exactly. Where were you? I was in the bed. I was in the bedroom. You were in the bed? Yeah, and you were in the living room reading. Yeah, I was sitting in the chair because I plowed through this book. You did? I read it <laughs> in one sitting. You did, yeah. That's right. Because um, I just, it's like it was a bad train wreck. It's you just so, can't not watch. Oh, my God. I, there there were some parts that were so intense because the whole the whole point is like, um, I, 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 should I just go ahead? I'm just, this is spoiler territory. I'm just going to describe the, the plot of the book. The main character runs this factory where he uh, he carves up humans for for food, uh, not just for food, but um, you know There's milk, a, a tannery. Uh, for ch- the skin. Yeah, exactly. They take their skin, their hair, 
um, and and turn them into you know the leathers that you might wear um, because you know you can't do that with animals anymore uh, for for this disease re- reason or whatever. And he's upset at the beginning of the book because his son has recently died, and uh, everywhere around him are people who are talking about the processing of meat as an industry, and he's he acts like he's sickened by it. Um, from be- page one. From think. page one, you think he's he's uh, really upset, and you find out he lost his son, um, and he's going through a bad divorce uh, or, or separation from his wife because of this. Um, and, uh, and everywhere around him are, are people who are just like, oh, yeah, special meat for everything. Um, his whole world is just revolving around trafficking these um, human chattel. These humans who have been physically um, uh, uh, bred and raised in cages. and raised in cages as uh, senseless, and uh, as part of his plant's overperformance uh, in the last year or whatever, he is given a prime uh, piece of meat, uh, which is a woman, uh, a woman who a still living, breathing woman. Um, who she's is gifted a first to generation. I don't think she's a first generation, she but is. she's like a she's yeah she's like a pure line she's or whatever. A, yeah, pure first generation, no untouched, yeah. uh, virginal um, piece of meat, and, and so he takes this this woman into his care and uh, has sex with her mm-hmm. um, in what you think is going to be. Uh, kind of like a romantic sort of thing. He be- it seems he becomes attached to her. Yeah, like like emotionally attached to her. Um, and then, uh, but that's against the law, right? Like mm-hmm. the laws uh, separating these these um, chattel people from other people um, are there to you know prevent this this kind of uh, uh, you know crossbreeding, whatever. Um, to to you know generate the line of of distance between us and the other, and he breaks that line. Um, she becomes pregnant with his child, and the whole time he's just worried that the government is going to find out that he did what he did. Mm-hmm. Through that whole the whole book, I thought the book was going to end with him being caught. Uh, and killed by the government like 1984 because this yep. this book gives off 1984 vibes all over and the place. And I think that's why I was so enthralled with it is because, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite, favorite books. books. Yeah. yeah. And we get, I've never had a book keep me on the edge of my seat and keep me guessing till the mm. very last fucking page, till the last sentence yeah. of the last page. Yeah. And so to bring me back to you asking me to explain how you know I was when I finished the book yeah so I get to the very last fucking sentence of the page and he so literally spoiler again he his wife is a nurse mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. his toy thing whatever you want to call her this woman <laughs> his mistress his mistress that is his chattel mistress his chattel mistress chattel mistress has gone into labor and he calls his wife and she's like, what the fuck have you done? And you think it's going to be this big whole ordeal. But she helps deliver the baby. And once the baby is there, he was like, I did this for us. 
because we <laughs> lost our son. Yeah. And then she's like, what are we going to do with her? And he's like, oh, don't worry. I'm going to kill her. And then he takes her outside and he kills her. And that's the end of the book. And my mind was fucking blown. It it fucked me up. If, if if the experience fucked me up because I was dreading the end. I was dreading. I knew for certain it was going to come down to he's going to get caught. And he's going to get gonna caught with this woman and they're both going to be murdered. And isn't that the, the biggest tragedy? And, but no. And, no. and then you realize that we were lied she to. Was, she was, he never had any he romantic had interest any in her at all. Any feelings at all. She and was he, just a means to an end. And he really didn't feel bad for doing what he did. Oh, my God. He had no conscience about, or con, <laughs> conscience. Yeah. He had no conscience about being in the meat industry the way we thought he did. He it, didn't feel bad at all. Yeah, not not even a little bit. Uh, and and that took me by surprise. Like I really was like, how did I misread this so poorly? How did I misread the entire fucking book? Where were the clues that Agostino Basterica had left behind that I just ignored? Because here in my my optimistic brain, I'm like, well, he has to care for her, right? He has to see her as a human being now. But it's clear he never did. Nope. It's clear by the way he treats her. He never sees her as a human being. He only sees her as as a, a womb. Really? He just wanted the baby. Oh, my God. So that him and his wife could have their perfect little family. It's devastating. So let's talk about... Uh, what this book is 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 really trying to say, what it's it's trying to do, because the plot, uh, you know, read it for the plot. This this book is absolutely fucking devastating. Um, I totally love it. But there's a hidden message. But but there, and it's not even a hidden message. No, I mean you know, it's, it's not just, hidden, It's just there's it's, a message. There's right? an underlying message. Yeah. yeah. So like, so let's hit it up. What's the thesis statement? What are we exploring here? What's this book doing? I've told you from, you know, the get go. I think. She was trying to um, to give a message about, like, how horrible the meat processing world is. Oh, and I think that, that that's very true. So uh, what we know about the author, she I believe she's uh, from Argentina, mm-hmm. which, of course, one of uh, Argentina's bigger uh, economic uh, exports is, is beef. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a huge... Uh, uh, like cattle ranching um, industry, right? And and just a huge beef industry, meat industry. Um, so, like, yes, as a criticism of the meat industry, a hundred percent. There, you cannot avoid the fact that you see these humans being treated like animals. You know, these living beings, these these uh, humans with with real emotions and and. Uh, consciousness is, you know, even though we we do not see the, these uh, chattel humans, uh, you know, interact with one another in a way that would make them, um, you know, like wholly literate. You know, they, they are kind of dehumanized into beasts. Um, and they I the part that I did still reread people. last night that it literally said they were. Um, they were given a tour to a German man who yes. who was trying to understand yeah, the process, right. and he was told, he asked them, do they speak? 
And he right. said, no. They have their vocal cords They removed. have their vocal cords removed so that they don't speak. Exactly. Um, to keep them, you know. But, uh, because otherwise they would be, s- they're, they're still intelligent people, right? They're still yeah. intelligent creatures. He said, but they do have a way of somewhat communicating so we know when they're hot or cold or. Right. Which is the same as any animal, right? Yeah. I mean, like they're, they're intelligent creatures too. And the fact of the matter is, um, you know, if, if you eat meat, well, that meat did come from a living animal of of yeah. uh an intelligence perhaps it's not what we would deem human intelligence but let's also be real is human intelligence the only worthwhile intelligence on the planet i don't know yeah i look at my dog a lot and i i absolutely know like she has a vocabulary mm-hmm. she knows when i'm talking to her she knows what i'm saying mm-hmm. um y- you know she has like real thoughts and real needs and real wants. And she communicates those to me through her body language. She communicates those things to me through um, her eye contact, through vocalization sometimes, you know, like leave no doubt that dog has learned how to communicate with me quite intelligently. And that's not the only, you know, animal on the the planet um, with real significant intelligence you know just because my dog doesn't build houses and do taxes does not mean that she's not an intelligent creature and i think that um you know the the effort to dehumanize these people and say well they're just beasts because we we've taken away their way their their means of talking right they can't speak to us they don't create art they don't you know do all of these quote unquote higher functions that we think we make as human beings as staples of our supreme intelligence yeah um that doesn't you know take away the fact that they're still intelligent creatures so there becomes an ethical question yeah right why is it so much more devious to eat humans than it is for us to eat animal meat yeah why is it so more Devastating Why is it okay to be for like, us to do this to animals exactly. and, and not humans? It's okay. It's it's not okay for us to eat a human baby, but it's okay for us to eat a sheep baby. Yeah. You know, there there's a real question there. Ethically speaking, uh, are we not just slaughtering other intelligent creatures for our comfort? Yeah. For our taste, for our um, pleasure. And, and that's kind of supremely fucked. So I think you're right. She she definitely uh, sheds a light on that particular issue. I think for me, that's not the only issue that she's taking ire with. Though. No, I think you and I have also discussed like capitalism. Oh, yeah. And this is where I think the book for me is especially effective. I said in my review of the book, this is destined to become another 1984 Mm-hmm. I, I think this will be uh, eventually when when the public wakes up to how important this book is. I think this book is destined to end up on the the lists of books like 1984 or Brave New World, um, having real conversations about the way that that uh, consumerism and capitalism have structured our lives and the ends to which we will go in order to maintain um, lines of profit. Mm-hmm. And to maintain lines of of uh, comfort and uh, the commodification of our lives, yeah. Because this, in this case, the commodity being you know bought, traded, sold, 
is people, you know, human beings. How much further can we commodify one another? How much further can we we, uh, go to turn one another into something um, marketable than to literally, literally turn you into a, a product to be, again, literally consumed? Yeah. Like turn people into to food. That's the ultimate commodification of, uh, of, of the human race. And there are going to be people uh, who consume and people who are consumed. And that is the end product, I think, of, of any uh, capitalist enterprise. You know, the people who consume and the people who are consumed for the other's uh, pleasure. And the question is, how do we determine who is who? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the t- a the top one percent. That's a whole be the consumer. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> who are the consumers now, and who are the people being consumed? You know, uh, I, I think this is um, the, it's it's a very similar problem to you know what any of these authors writing about fascism or writing about you know the, the problems of capitalism are, are really you know kind of centering on. It's like who holds the power, who determines. Uh, who gets to do what. And at the end of the day, you know, we look at, I think what's so devastating about this book is the whole time the book spends its energies getting us to sympathize with the main character, the dude who runs this factory. Yeah. Of sympathizing with him, with his broken life, looking at his wants and needs and saying, gosh, I really just wish he can get away with this. And then at the end of the book being like, Ha ha, you had sympathy for the wrong fucking person. That's the thing that this yeah. book but gotcha. like <laughs> it feels like a, a knife to the back, doesn't yep. it? Because the whole time you're rooting for this guy when you should have been rooting for the woman that he's keeping pregnant in his fucking attic. Holy shit, it just is so heartbreaking. And and uh I it's brilliant. I mean it's yeah. brilliantly crafted. Yeah. What else like really struck you about this book? Is is there anything else that you feel um we haven't really dealt with? I was intrigued with the uh like the game reserve part of it. Well, okay, so in he he goes to a game reserve which is like like these wealthy yes, people that that's are just right. like sitting around. They're like rock stars and right. Um, I yes. think there were a couple of women, maybe. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, you can't go and you can't hunt uh, like lions in this world, right? Yeah. Uh, because again, because of the toxicity of of these animals or whatever. Uh, but they just sit there and they're just hunting these people. Yeah. For sport. So the, the the thing about this book is like it's not just the meat industry. It's like like we totally reorganize our whole our whole minds to the exploitation of one another. Right. And so the, the people who are looking for that thrill naturally instead of going out to hunt, hunt dangerous game, they, they're hunting the most dangerous game like that story we all had to read in high school. What was it? The most dangerous game. Oh, I don't uh, know if I read that. You really? It's a, it's about an island where um, this guy takes people and he gives them a weapon and he he shoves them out on the island and then he goes hunt and hunts them oh. because he needs the thrill of the hunt and oh. what what greater quarry is there 
than uh, you know the the intelligent human man who can you know craft traps and you know his it's like a, a game of wits and now I'm gonna shoot you because yeah. that's how I get my my rocks off. Similar setting here, right? This game reserve uh, takes like washed up um, rock stars, rock stars, or people who owe them too much money, and they they turn them out and then hunt them for sport. It's just it's, all fucked up. It's sick, isn't yeah. it? It's truly sick. But again, I think it's like what? Uh, how is that not happening now? I mean, uh, you know, maybe it's it's not that rich people are running around and hunting. Uh, people to to shoot them in their in their backyards in their Mar-a-Lago parks, you know. Um, but there are absolutely people out there who think of of one and you know think of of other people as conquests, yeah. right? They think of people as uh, is that not what human traffickers like Andrew Tate do? Mm-hmm. I think of that. Uh, yeah, you're totally right. I, I think of that a lot. It's not just that. Um, in this future dystopia, um, that dystopia, that was the word I was looking for. Ah, we found it. We found the word Not post-apocalyptic dystopian. Yeah. Yeah. In this future dystopia, it's not just that, uh, uh, you know, people have taken the place of animals for, um, for food, but also for for leather, but for entertainment too. It's, it's grotesque. But I think the most disturbing part of all of it was eating babies oh at the very beginning where he's like he's mm. taking that german around for the tour and he's like oh and over here we're making we're barbecuing babies. We're barbecuing a child it's the it's the most special most expensive meat um here let's make a sandwich it's so tender and i'm just like Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like oh my god i can't do this but like the page before that He's like showing um, there's this woman in a cage and she's got a rope around her neck and he opens the cage and pulls her out. And he's um, I don't remember if it was the breeding cages, if that's where he pulled her from. But he Mm. he pulls out this thing that that he puts to her arm and it cuts off a little sliver. And he's like, here, have a taste. Oh, yeah. I think that made me more even more sick to my stomach. I'm just like. He's like, and that has so much protein in it. And I'm just like, mm. mm-hmm. like, gives me the shivers. It's just. it's a, it, There's so much imagery in this book that uh, is, is just fucking awful. Just awful. So uh, five stars? Yeah, it it makes me feel gross to say it but yeah it was a five star book like it's it was <laughs> fucked up but it was it was a good read it was a five star read yeah i i think for me it hits it checks all the boxes um it it's emotionally investing uh, the plot it just has me on the edge of my seat the whole time uh and then the the message you know the the the, the politics the um the conversation it's trying to spark uh, is just too important to ignore. Yeah. It, yeah. Five stars for me all the way down. Well, I think that probably about does it for this episode of Slayhouse Presents. Yeah. What do you say we come back and do another one next week? That sounds good to me. All right. Yeah. We'll do it next week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.